I'm really excited to introduce you to a friend. If you've been around, he needs no introduction because he really is a part of our family around here. But if you're new, I want to make sure that I have a chance to introduce him. This is my friend David Hill. He pastored a church here in the city, Restoration Community Church. Um, But more than just being a really great pastor, he's a really loyal and faithful friend. He's been a pastor to me. We have traveled the world together. We train church planters together. We celebrate birthdays together. He loves my boys and my wife, and he prays for them. We have confessed sin to each other. Um, I'm, I'm really grateful for you. Amen, likewise. Yeah, you, you have been a really faithful presence and a pastor to me in my life. And I already, I sat on that, in that seat during the nine o'clock hour and I can't wait to go back and sit down again and listen to the sermon because you're in for a treat. Uh, I'm gonna pray for David and then we're all gonna get to receive from God through him. So would you please join me as I pray? Amen. Our Father, you are powerful, strong, and true. When you speak, it is trustworthy. And right now what I'm asking is that you would pour out rich blessings on my brother, David Hill, that you would strengthen him and encourage him and that you would use him to challenge and to encourage and to feed your people. God, help us as your people to be eager and ready to participate to have hearts that are ready to receive, that want to hear from you and see you clearly. And I pray that as a result of these sacred moments set aside with your word open before us, that you would do a transformative work in us as a community and that you would use David to do it. We look forward to what you have for us. We bless you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Well, good morning. Amen. It's good to be with you this morning. I do bring you greetings from Restoration Community Church over in the OST South Union Third Ward community. And uh, I am truly honored to be here with you. Everything Jeremiah said uh, that I have been to him, he has been to me uh, and more. And so I consider myself a part of this family. So I hope you receive me as part of this family. Amen. I was joking with them this morning that uh, as much as we are family, that relationship got tested some last month. Uh, In our neighborhood, we have what we call our Juneteenth Father's Day Classic three-on-three basketball tournament. And as many of you know, Juneteenth is a cultural holiday which celebrates the day the slaves were freed here in Texas. And so it's a community event, and we only invited one group outside of the community. Seven Mile Road. Said I called Michael. Hey, man, y'all can put a team in. Bring three or four of your best guys, and y'all can get in. And uh, so they did. And 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 I want to let you know, you would be proud of them. They did well. They did well. In fact, they did so well uh, that one of the members of our church pulled me over as the tournament was progressing, and said, uh, 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 "Pastor, you do realize, like, if these three white guys win this tournament <laughs> on Juneteenth." That, like, that's going to be a problem. (laughs) You know, so for the safety of his team, no, I told him, I said, hey, look, don't worry about it. Uh, We got a contingency plan. I said, if they make it to the semifinals, I've already instructed the ref to swallow his whistle. (laughs) So it, it it was all for their safety. No, so we had a great time. We had a great time, and we really, really enjoyed them, and uh, we were glad that they would be able to be a part of it. And so, 
Now, I want to share with you this morning what the Lord has placed on my heart. Uh, and I want to start by telling you this. Uh, many years ago, when I was finishing college at Texas Southern University, my major was criminal justice, and I was working for Harris County Juvenile Probation Department. And I was working at one of their facilities as kind of what they call a cottage parent for eight days a week. Um, I had a dorm of young boys that I was responsible for. And for eight hours a day, you were essentially a parent. Um, you came in with whatever shift you had. I had the afternoon, evening shift. So you helped them with schoolwork. You gave them medication. Uh, you took them outside, exercise. The whole nine, feed them their everything. You were a parent. And of course, as many of you know, if you have children or you work with you know, young people like this, the hardest part of the job is getting them into bed. And so I had that, that was part of my task, is getting them to bed at night. And so I remember one evening, I had a 13-year-old boy, 13 or 12 years old, got him into bed, and he decided that this was his night to just go wild. He was going to cut up and, and raise holy hell in the dorm. And so as soon as I get him down and I go to the other end, I mean, he run out of the room and act out where he was. And so I decided I was going to shame him into getting into the bed. So I was on the other end, and as I was coming down to his end, I said, do I have to put you in the bed like a five-year-old? And so I walked in his room, and I grabbed his sheets, and I began to fluff his sheets as if he was a little baby. And something really crazy happened that I did not see coming as a young man. He curled up in the fetal position. He allowed me to tuck him all the way in. I prayed for him, turned the light off, Never heard from him again that night. And I remember walking out of the room and down the hallway, and I'm a young man. I don't have any kids. I don't. And I was just shocked. I was like, now, what was that about? He went from all of that, and he let me. And I could hear the Holy Spirit say to me, like, David, you're doing a lot for these boys, and it's good stuff. But the greatest thing you can ever do for them is when you love them when they feel the expression of love coming from you. And it was mind-blowing to me, and that's what I want to talk with you a little bit about today. Because a lot of times for us as Christians, believers, we know we're called to love. We know that's a part of the package. We know God has called us to do that. But the reality of it is, oftentimes when we need it, or when we need to give it the most, it's like the can on the top shelf that we're reaching for, and I, I, I just can't seem to, to get it. Even though I know it's what's demanded of me or called of me in this moment, I, I just don't have it to give. And I want to talk to you about some points about why we've got to prioritize love, why it is a spiritual gift and why it is probably the most, the greatest spiritual gift. I want to start by saying this to you. We are going to read the passage again in chapter 13. But before we do, I want to give you a little backdrop in chapter 12 before chapter 13. Because what is happening here is Paul is writing to them. And what had happened in the church in Corinth is some of the people have begun to exalt the spiritual gifts that tend to bring us to the forefront. The gifts of prophecy and the gift of 
speaking in tongues or speaking in public, they begin to exalt those gifts. And even some begin to covet those gifts to say, hey, man, this is what you really want to be going after. I mean, you're really anointed if you can do this. God's really walking with you if you can do these things in the body. And so that is who he's addressing as he writes this. And in verse 29 in chapter 12, I just want to read these three passages. As we go into chapter 13, he says to them this, All are not apostles, are they? All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, are they? All are not workers of miracles, are they? All do not have gifts of healings, do they? All do not speak with tongues, do they? All do not interpret, do they? But earnestly desire the greater gifts. And I show you a still more excellent way. And so he's almost telling them, listen, all of these things are wonderful, and God gave them to the body to be useful. But if you really want to know where the juice is, if you want to know where the greatest gift is, if you want to know the secret sauce in this, if you will, he says, I'll show you in a, a more excellent way. And then he leads us into chapter 13. If I speak with tongues of men of angels, but do not have love, I become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have a faith as so to move mountains, but do not have love, I have nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It is not jealous. Love does not brag, and it is not arrogant does not act unbecomingly, does not seek its own, it is not provoked and does not take into account wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away with. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. And when I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with these childish things. For now we see in the mirror dimly, but then we see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully just as I am fully known. But now, hope, faith, hope, love abide these three. But the greatest of these is, you said it. The Spirit's principal task in our lives is to re reproduce in us the character of Jesus Christ. Priority in that character reproduction is love. And it is from love that all of the other aspects of the Spirit's fruits will flow. This chapter shows love is the most excellent way with the idea that Christians must make it their first aim in the exercise of spiritual gifts. 
So if you want to use spiritual gifts, if you're going to pursue spiritual gifts, we want to make the case today of why love has to be at the top of the list. And if we were to ask the most excellent way to what, the reply has to be to serve and please and honor God and His Son. And I want to talk to you about four ways in which love helps us to do that. To help us to honor our Father and our Savior as we, as the reproduction of Christ is happening in our lives. First, let me tell you this. Love is the best spiritual gift. It is. It's the best spiritual gift. Paul mentions speaking in tongues, prophecy, generosity, martyrdom. All these gifts are wonderful. But you know what? All these gifts also have the potential to bring attention to us. And that's what was happening in the early church. They were using these gifts, and these gifts were blessing the body, but they have some of these gifts, they just have the tendency to shine a little bit of light on us at the same time. And look, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not allergic to seeing my name in lights. I'm just not. I'm not allergic to people slapping me on the back. Hey, man, David, you're killing it, man. You're doing a fantastic job. That, that does something for me. And if, if I'm not careful, just like a lot of people, man, I can lose sight of what God is really trying to do. So we got to understand that, that the gifts of the Spirit are wonderful, but these other ones have a tendency to bring a little light our way. Love, loving people, has a lot to do with me taking the light off of me and putting it on somebody else. It's why it's one of the best spiritual gifts. Because it reproduces, reproduces in us the character of Christ. Jesus came to give his life for others. He came to serve and not be served. And when we, when we go to love, it, it by nature puts us in a position to serve others. Because I want to love you. Without the presence and the practice of love, gifts of the spirits are really useless. So really, it doesn't matter if you can speak in tongues, if you can, if you can interpret, if you've got a great ability to teach, if you're a great preacher, if you can do all of these things that Paul mentioned, if you can do all of that but you don't care about people, what does it matter? What, what good is it if I can stand here and preach the best sermon you ever heard or if I can stand here and sing like an angel and touch your spirit in a way that makes you feel this close to heaven? And then when people approach me afterwards, hey, I don't have time for the little people. I've got to catch a limousine and catch my flight out of here. Don't, 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 don't bother with me with that little stuff. Can't you see how big I am? See how important I am? What good is it to be gifted and you have no love in your heart for people? Paul was making the point that, listen, don't miss the mark here. This, the juice is not, in the, it's not in all these other gifts. The juice is in the ability to love. And you know why I love it? Because everybody can love. Everybody can love. It's one of the things that make what I call one of the greatest movements, and I think a lot of people would agree, the greatest movements of our time, the civil rights movement in the early 60s and late 60s, when Dr. King and, and all these civil rights leaders led the, this movement to help 
African-Americans become or gain these rights and privileges in America, what made it great was not the great speeches, was not just the sacrifices. What made it truly great was that they said, we're going to love our way through this. We're going to love you despite your hate for us. We're going to love you despite you bricking our homes and spitting on our faces and harming us and, doing, and, 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 and living under the threat of death. We still choose love. And if you don't believe it, you can just look at some of the quotes that he used during that time when he said, darkness cannot drive out darkness, only light can do that. Hate can't drive out hate, only love can do that. I've decided to stick with love because hate's too big a burden to bear. Love is the only force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend. And one of my favorite rappers, his name is Bizzle, I call him a hood poet. He has a statement in one of his songs that he says, love sometimes is measured by the hate you can love through. See, oftentimes when we think about love, we think about giving it to the people who've given it to us. It's easy to love the people who love us. But love is sometimes measured by your ability to love through hate. Who has God called you to love that you despise? Because they're on the other side of an issue. Or they're on the other side of town. Or they're on the other side of some element of something that you disagree with. Those are the folks. Those are the times when love is tested. When we got to reach deeper within ourselves. And it's what allowed this movement to be so great. But that's a small movement when you think about what God, what God wants to do in the lives of believers and people today. But love is the best spiritual gift. I say it is because it's something we all can do. You don't have to be a great singer to love. You don't have to be a pastor with great oratory skills to love. You don't have to be a songwriter to love. You don't have to be gifted with great organization and leadership to love. You don't have to be from an affluent family to love. You don't have to be born in the wealth to love. Everybody can love. And it's the greatest gift that's been given to us all to participate in. So first, love is the best spiritual gift. Secondly, love is the chief aspect of the Spirit's fruits. We know what those are in Galatians 5, 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And if you think about all of these gifting of the spirits, of these fruits of the spirits, if they were a mathematical equation and you added them all up, they essentially come out to love. And in the passage, love is patient, love is kind. It's patient with people and it tries to understand them and react accordingly. It's one of the things that's missing so much from our culture and our society today. That nobody is patient and kind with one another. Not even in the body of Christ. 
I'm amazed at how we treat one another. People say, man, I was driving down the street in my neighborhood and I saw sister so-and-so had a sign supporting you-know-who in her yard. Can you believe it? We'll be sitting next to her in church next Sunday. And then I turned the corner down Brother Johnson's and I saw a sign this on his yard. Can you believe he would even think about walking with somebody like that? Cancel his Christmas card. <laughs> Come on, y'all can talk to me this morning. It's all right. Because these things happen and if we don't do that in our minds, we do that. But very, how, very little do we say, man, I never knew they thought like that. Maybe I want to sit down with them, get to know them a little bit. Yeah, maybe they're on the opposite end of this thing, but that's my brother, that's my sister. I love them. I want to know why they think like that. See, being in the kind of ministry I'm in, inner city, I'll be honest with you, I have to work and deal with a lot of people who forget about being on the opposite end of me. They, they're not even saved. They don't even know God. They're, but people are drawn to community uh, type. It brings all kind of people. And even the ones who are saved, sometimes I'm on the opposite spe spe spectrum of them. But what it has taught me was, instead of recalling these, from these people, I got to continue to walk with them because we've got some agendas that we're trying to accomplish for the greater community or to help serve people. And some of those things line up with the gospel, even though it brings, brings me into contact with people who are just as far from the gospel as possible. But the only way I have an opportunity to show them the gospel is by loving them and as I walk with them, even though we're different and we think different in a lot of ways. Now, they fully understand and know, hear me when I'm saying, I'm not talking about compromising where you are and your, and your principles and how you've been formulated and how God has you, because I certainly don't. And people know that. They know Pastor Hill real well. He's, this is where he's going, and he ain't budging from that. Now, I love you all the way, but I'm a pretty strong, opinionated guy. I love the debate. When I come to the barbershop every two weeks, it's on. They know when they see me coming, we're going to be talking about something. I tell everybody, I preach. We only have one service at our church, but my second one is in the barbershop. <laughs> so we do have two services. Because I, I enjoy that, but I've also had to learn that, David, you can disagree with people and still love those very people. You don't have to, you don't have to shun them away from you. And we don't have enough of that where people are patient with one another. They're kind in that it always, they always think of a gentle and constructive way of dealing with people. Yeah, maybe we disagree about this, but we don't have to stop existing to one another because of that. No, that's not what God has called us to, and that's not what he's called me to. Now, this is hard stuff, y'all. This is reaching up on the top shelf to get this at times. I, I have failed in this in many ways, as I'm sure many of you have, but God has continually reminded me that, David, if you, 
you can preach the best sermon in the world, you can educate yourself, and you can know the word, and you can preach and teach the word. But David, if people don't feel the love coming off of you, what does it mean? And I'm going to challenge you every step of the way. I want to tell y'all something. Let me say this, Colossians 3 and 14 says this, beyond all these things put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. I want to tell y'all something, if you promise not to judge me, you promise? Nobody's going to condemn me. Okay, I got you on record, got you on record. You know, some years ago when we planted our church, I have a strong passion for the African American community. I'm very passionate about the issues that have plagued uh, our culture, uh, and our whole heart was to bring the gospel the gospel is the answer, and the whole heart was to bring the gospel to the urban community and to address it, address the issues that plague us through that. Uh, and so we drew up a church planning plan somewhat. This was before I knew ACPN. We did the best we could, and we formulated it, and we attacked this thing. And a funny thing started happening as we got going. White people started coming to the church. And then more white people started coming to the church. And then more white people started coming to the church. And I remember thinking to myself, whoa, 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 wait a minute, God. This is not what, I wrote some stuff. I wrote a plan down. This wasn't on the plan. This wasn't on the plan. And so I was struggling with this. And then I thought about, man, we may have to shut this thing down and reboot this thing. This ain't, you know, you know my life wasn't as diverse as it is now. So this was the new, this was the old David. I'm like, this ain't what I set out to do. And I'll never forget, I was struggling with this thing and I'll never forget, God said, you'll do no such thing. You're going to sit your butt down and let me do what I want to do. And God began to deal with me and he began to show me some things. And he began to show me, even in my own heart, that David, don't get this thing twisted now. Your, your job is to love any and everybody who walks through the door. And there was some old residue in my heart from some things that I had gone through earlier in my life that I just knew I had already walked out. Hey, man, I've been saved walking with the Lord. God already dealt with some of that stuff. But God began to show me, search yourself, David. You know, search your heart and make sure. So, and here's what I want to tell you is, that when you attempt to love, just know you might think you're going to be the one doing something for somebody else. I'm telling you, God's going to turn the magnifying glass on your own heart. And oftentimes what we find, there's some residue in these relationships or in these things that are causing us not to love. And God showed me that. And I was brokenhearted. I'm like, God, I don't want to be your servant. I don't want to have anything in my heart. But God would challenge us in order that we may love in the way that he's called us to. So I want to tell you, love is the chief aspect of the spirit of the fruit. And when we choose to walk in it, be ready for the magnifying glass. But I'm grateful because I want to tell you this. The greatest thing that has ever happened to our church was that we ended up being a blended congregation. The greatest thing that ever happened. Because it forced all of us to, to walk a path that we never would have walked. 
it challenged us all to love in a way that we never would have been challenged in had we not been forced to walk together. And I'm always grateful for that. There are things that I have learned cross-culturally that have made me a better man, a better minister, and a better believer. But it wouldn't have happened if, I would, if we had shut the valve off and be like, man, I can't do that. We're in the hood, man. We ain't trying to do that. Or what was really the thing for me is, God, how's, how the rest of the culture going to look at me if I got a church pe- full of white people? How are they going to look at me? What are they going to say about me when they see these white people coming in my church? Now, that may not be what's holding you back, but what are the things that you're afraid of loving because of what people are going to say? What are they going to say when they see that? What are they going to see when they know you're associating with, with those folks or that person? We got to walk past that because we're trying to walk in the greatest spiritual gift, and that's love. Number three, let me say this to you. Love superiority to other gifts is summed up in that it never fails. You know why it's one of the greatest gifts? It's because it'll never let you down. It'll never fail his love. When all other gifts pass away, it will remain. We read that in the passage this morning. When all of the other gifts, when we have no need for prophecy anymore, when we have no need for revelation, one day when we stand before him face to face, when we are fully known, some of these other things won't be necessary anymore. But you know what will remain? Love. Even when I see him face to face, love will be there. And so if love is going to be the gift that outlasts everything, I want to be proficient in that now. I want more of that now. This love only comes from the Father. You know, this past May, I, we had our 25th wedding anniversary. Come on, man. Somebody clap for that. That's worthy. Let me tell you something. And I'm going to tell you why I celebrated the most. Because for 25 years, just like the Lord blinded Paul on the road to Damascus, He has blinded my wife to who I truly look like. (laughs) See, what y'all see is just a regular average looking brother. What she sees is a low-key Denzel Washington. See, (laughs) So for 25 years, the Lord has been on my side and I'm depending on him to, to carry this thing on out. But you know, when I met her, we were both in college at Texas Southern and I knew right away this was the one. I knew it. It took me a while to get around to it, but I knew, I knew like, I, there's no question. I have no desire for anybody else. She's clearly the one. And so as I begin to woo her, court her, and I would make promises and tell her, like, listen, I'm the guy you want. I promise you, you'll have sunshine on a cloudy day. And if you stick with me, girl, when it's cold outside, you're going to have the month of May. Nobody can love you. Trust me, just say yes and take this ring and be my woman. I did my best and sold every song I could sing. But you know, it didn't take me 25 years to learn something. And in fact, I learned it not long 
after we got married. What I should have been saying to her was, I'm going to do my very best. I'm going to try and love you with all the ability that I have. Because what I found out, that human love can fall short sometimes. There have been times in our marriage that I did not meet up to what I promised. And now I'm grateful that I married a woman of God who didn't hold it against me. But there are times when I was unable to rise to the moment of the love that was required because human love does that. It, it, it fails. And so that's not the kind of love I'm talking about this morning, y'all. The kind of love I'm speaking about this morning is the love of the Lord Jesus that's reproduced in us by the Spirit, and it doesn't fail but goes on where human love stops. See, this kind of love is not predicated on what you do to me, on whether you treated me well or not, or whether you reciprocate what I've given to you. This love transcends that. This is the love of Christ that led him to the cross to die for people who were yet enemies of his. And every time I stop to think about why I can't love somebody or why I have a right to hold on to something, the Holy Spirit reminds me how. When Jesus went the distance for you, David. How? So what he called you out your name? So what he disrespected you? So what they did this to you? So what he cut you off in traffic? Whatever it might be. How can you say you cannot love them when Jesus went the distance for you? This is the kind of love that only happens when you walk with him. And that's why the world needs to see it more than it's ever seen it before, y'all. And that's why every believer needs to go. We've all got to reach and, and ask the Lord to give us this kind of love for one another and even for those who don't even know you, Lord. Because this is the greatest testimony we'll ever have. Is that people seeing us love one another. Jeremiah mentioned our time and travel together and things that we do. I love it because I know what it speaks to people in the height when this country was under racial tension like we hadn't seen in decades for brothers to come across cultural lines and, and walk together and love one another. What that says to a hurting world. How can they have that and I don't have that? It's because of Jesus. And he wants us to have more of it because the world needs more of it. Love's superiority to other gifts is summed in that it never fails. And I'm, we can trust in this love. And even, though I, and even if I don't get it back, I still trust in it because it comes from the Father. Number four, the strength of Christian love. Love is the greatest because it's the very nature of God. When Jesus approached that Samaritan woman at the well, he crossed all kinds of barriers. He risked a whole lot, but he knew here's an opportunity to share the gospel, for someone to know Jesus, to come to know him. 
Love is the greatest because it brings people in connection with God. And we've got to remember that love is not just for the warm, fuzzy feelings that you and I get. Ultimately, it's what shows people the very nature of the God who created us and, the, and, and his son who died for us. Faith and hope are important. But when we show love, we show the very nature of God. And we got to understand that love is a command. I'm commanded to love those around me. And I'll tell you another little nugget here. You know, when we talk about loving people, we often think about who's down the street, who's on the other side of the city, who's in another town. But the hardest people to love are sometimes the ones closest to us, the ones that we have the most relationship with. And where we see the most brokenness oftentimes and the hardest wounds to heal with love are the people we wake up to every day or the ones down the hallway from us or the ones we used to live with. Those are where we find the most damage and and love existing the least at times. All I want to encourage y'all in this morning, y'all, is that as we study and learn and educate ourselves in the Word and become proficient in all of these other areas, all of that stuff is so necessary. But let's not get the cart before the horse. This thing is still very simple. It comes down to loving folks. Yes, it's messy. Yes, it it calls us to risk some things at times. But without love, people won't know that you care. And just like that little boy that I was allowed to put to bed, that I had to put to bed, as I watched him go to bed with a smile on his face, I knew I had just done something that touched his heart. Who has God called you to touch? Who has he called you to reach out to? What what bounds has he called you to cross? What groups is he sending you to or, or asking you to go beyond your limits? Is he calling you to live in a place you never thought you would live? Is he calling you to a people you never thought you would interact with? Is he calling you to risk your reputation or your status in a way because he's, he wants you to love in a way that's uncalled to, uh, foreign to some of the people you know? I don't know. But I can tell you this, whatever it might be and whatever it is, if you trust him, he's going to show you some things about yourself first, but you will experience some of the greatest things in him when you do it. I've never been as broken as I've been trying to love people because all it's done is revealed the wickedness and the evil that exists in me and the shame I have that is there. But I really believe that's part of the reason God calls us to do it because it makes us look in the mirror. It makes us see the ugly that sometimes exists within us. But the beautiful thing about the Savior He doesn't leave us just with the mirror. He says, now come and try on my grace and my mercy. I'll pay the price 
You can do this in me. And so I encourage you this morning as I pray. If there are broken relationships in your life, if God's challenging you to love in ways that you've struggled in before, it's worth it because it's the greatest spiritual gift. And it's something all of us are called to do. Let me pray for you this morning. Father, we thank you. And we thank you for your grace and your mercy and your Savior in Jesus that you've given us. Lord, you want to produce in us the character of Christ in all that we do. And Father, all of us know the struggle to love when we've been wounded. The struggle to love uh, because of how we've been our own makeup at times. The struggle to love just because I just don't want to, God. I, I, don't, I don't have any desire to care for that person or to care for those people. I don't. Lord, I pray that you begin to break that down in us and that you would show us again and again how you had every right not to love us, how you had every right not to associate with us. But yet and still, you gave the most precious gift you had for us, for all our groups, black, white, Asian, Hispanic, rich, poor, privileged, non, whatever, whatever we might, what category we may fall in, left, right, whatever it might be. Father, you died for us each and every, you sent your son to die for each and every one of us. So how dare we say we can't love what Jesus gave his life for. Father, I pray you would equip us, embolden us, challenge us, strengthen us, make us more like Jesus so that we can say, love is the greatest spiritual gift and the path that we have chosen, the greater way in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.